HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Greenhorns, this is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers. Share your gossip, share your news. Join us weekly for the podcast. I am here today sitting in Point Reyes, California on the phone with Michaela from Wisconsin. We met at the Young Farmers Summit in, well, near Madison, Wisconsin on the farm there with about, I'd say there were like 400 young farmers there. And it was organized by Moses, which is the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education System. I think that's right, acronym-wise. A really amazing organization working to support the organic movement in the Midwest. Hi, Michaela. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. I feel welcome. Um, And Michaela and I had actually, I guess, met digitally because I was a fan of the poster that she drew for the Greenhorns when it was screening in Wisconsin, but only by traveling through the air were we able to meet in person. (laughs) Um, Would you mind, Michaela, just describing your operation and how you came to farm in Wisconsin? Sure. Yeah, I um, was lured to this area initially about... Twelve years ago, there is a place called Dreamtime Village, and it was this, still is, but it was even more so a thriving anarchist permaculture community in rural Wisconsin. And uh, a bunch of artists and really interesting folks were there at the time, and I was like, oh my gosh, people are living rurally and they're doing really cool radical things and they're growing stuff. So I was sort of, that that whole experience cast a spell on me, and I thought, okay, someday I'm going to end up out there. And I continued on my art path and um, traveling and being a hobo, and then eventually I just got to a place where I was able to settle down, and I found this really lovely 14-acre 
former Frisbee golf course and uh, got a screaming deal on it. And I was focusing on homesteading for a long time and not really profitability and, you know, other than just, you know, feeding my friends and family. But um, I started wrapping my head around profitability about two years ago and being able to produce enough to actually sell and support my family and stuff. And so now I run a really small RSA, which is like a CSA but for restaurants. And I sort of dabbled in CSA. I dabbled in farmer's markets last year. Um, Well, more than dabbled. I had like a 40-member CSA, but then I sold at two farmer's markets. But really my favorite thing about it was working with chefs, so I decided this year to just focus on that and continue growing weird stuff and wildcrafting a lot and all that, so I get to kind of focus on the geekier crafts and stuff, which is totally my cup of tea. But I'm from California, and um, I initially was brought to California or to uh, Wisconsin uh, via the film department at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. They have this great little experimental film program that is um, it's public, which is kind of rare for that kind of film. And so that's what brought me out here was that department. I used to teach there, and um, just kind of. In a roundabout way, found this little piece of countryside here. So, so there's um, my little story. <laughs> Say it again. There's my little story. Good story. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the farm scene in Wisconsin, and you're part of the the larger kind of Terry Viroquan uh, explosion. And sure. uh, some of the goals that you have for your uh, RSA and who's living and working on your farm. Yeah. Well, it's really exciting where I am. There's a lot of organic vegetable growers here, like a lot. And we have really good soil. And the only the only trick about it is that we're pretty far from markets. So there's a lot of people growing the stuff, but they kind of have to wholesale and so they have to be kind of big. And so for people that want to be small and really diverse, we kind of have to go far to sell our stuff, which in my case, I don't mind because I like being in the city. <laughs> I also don't really get much time to like sit down. So the drive, it's about a three-hour drive. It's kind of a nice like meditative, quiet time um, to do that check once a week. Um, but locally, I mean, it's it's just, it's amazing. I feel like this area has attracted so many people just because of the food. Like it's, you know, Organic Valley is headquartered here. So that kind of started, I, I, I'd say a good percentage of the population here has something to do with that place. And um, it's lured a lot of people here. But then there's a lot of Amish people and they grow all kinds of amazing stuff. And of course, there's like a huge homesteader contingent here. Um, it's, I would say, I mean, I really have no idea what the percentage is, but there's a good amount of expats and transplants. So for a rural area, there's like a pretty cool diversity of folks, you know, that have had 
experiences other than having grown up here. So that's kind of cool. Um, what did I miss? You asked me a few questions there. You didn't talk about Thurman, and you didn't talk about old mom. I didn't. I didn't talk about Thurman. And what was the second question? All, all about your mom idea. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, well, Thurman is my right hand man. He's my fifth. He just turned fifteen. Fifteen-year-old son who's a young powerhouse of a man and farmer, and he's he's really into it, and he's really outspoken, and uh, he's kind of. Yeah, he's my sidekick with all of this. I don't think that I could do it without him. I'm a single mom. I've got three kids, um, which I'm also now opening up my farm to other single mothers. So this summer is going to be kind of hilarious around here. There's going to be a lot of kids. Um, But the beauty of that is that in the past it's been a little bit trying to have mom friends come here because, you know, their kids really just, when they're just visiting, they don't really get the lay of the land. And, you know, a lot of them are city kids. They don't know how to not get hurt and, like, stay alive and <laughs> not get, like, stung by poisonous plants and bugs and all of that. So they'll be here longer term, and they'll, they'll really get a chance to get in the sink of things. But also, we'll be able to pull child care. So the moms will actually be able to farm with me and get stuff done because can just kind of take turns wrangling the kids and stuff. So, so far I have three friends moving out for the summer uh, with anywhere between one and three kids. <laughs> and it's open to more. So, um, you know, we're getting alternative venues or like relations that emerge uh, as necessity in the precarious startup phase um, of organic farm country, and you're not in that startup phase, but it sounds like you're in the sustaining phase. I'm in the what uh, phase? Like sustaining? What, what phase are you in? Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. I mean, this RSA thing is slightly new. I mean, I worked with a lot of these chefs last year retailing to them, and so... It's new in the sense that they're trying to wrap their heads around a new model of paying for the stuff. And that's been a little bit interesting, educating them on that and how it's really like the wave of the future. <laughs> but also a lot of these chefs are, are pretty, it's safe to say they're higher end. And so they're used to dealing with like seasonal stuff. And um, it's it's pretty exciting to be, you know, given eight pounds of of Wapato and, like, figure out what to do with it. I mean, I can just bring crazy stuff to them, and they have crazy, you know, specials and whatnot. They can roll with that. Um, so, but I've got sort of a spectrum. I've got some, like, slightly more mainstream restaurants where, you know, they like to have semi-regular specials. So just trying to navigate all that is brand new. Um, I'm, like kind of in an in-between zone. I'm almost sustaining. I can answer that question at the end of this season as to exactly where I'm at. Well, it last sounds year like there's like also a, a tension in the punk artist, farmer, and where you locate yourself in order to fulfill 
that bundle yeah. of sentiments. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that's, interestingly, that's a lot of the chefs that I work with. <laughs> it's, um, you know, a lot of punkers are in kitchens and a lot of artists are in kitchens and a lot of musicians are in kitchens. And so I know a lot of these people from their bands <laughs> and or like them coming to my art shows and stuff like that. And we've all just grown up a little bit and we're, you know, doing other things. And, and that's been kind of really never in a million years that I have thought it would turn into a sort of a business relationship like that. It's funny. So important early life lesson would be show up for your friend's shows. You may be selling yeah. festivals and bring your sister. Yeah, for sure. Support your friends because they'll support you someday. <laughs> okay. Um, so <laughs> the long arm refer to animal relationships. Explain a little more about animal and your cheesecake and all these things about arms. I I got about a third of what you just said. Oh, tell me why you named your farm, what you named it, and tell us about your your cheese cave. Okay, yeah, okay. It's called Long Arm Farm because we named the farm after my son Lou, and Lou's namesake is Lou Longarm, who is an Irish Irish mythical god slash king creature that um, was essentially good at all kinds of things. And he also is the god of harvest. So it's actually kind of a long, really magical, meandering story. But the name came from Irish Irish mythology and my son. Um, And then the cheese cave is I raise dairy animals, amongst other things. And I've been uh, learning and tinkering and working towards getting my license to legally make and sell cheese. In the state of Wisconsin, you have to have a license. Um, and part of that process, learning process, is learning how to age cheese. And, you know, I'm kind of interested in, in doing things the old way. I don't really want to age cheese in a refrigerator. So I um, have this sort of cliff right behind my house that is limestone with sandstone underneath and where they meet it kind of naturally started undermining so I had this little natural cave and I just decided why don't I just make it bigger and so I spent the summer essentially digging into my hill and learning about masonry and Thurman especially learned about masonry and um, had a friend who's a stonemason come and mentor us from California for a couple months and uh so, yeah, I have this beautiful old-timey cave behind my house that um, hopefully soon when my goats freshen, I'll be playing in there somewhere this summer, learning the art of affinage. So I'm hoping to get cows this year. I'm kind of outgrowing goats. <laughs> I love goats, but I'm ready for cows. I'm in love with the ladybug 
Okay, so we're ready for cows. And ready for cows. Yes, I can't wait. <laughs> so, what's the what's coming next and what's happening in your perspective? You you know, you came to the Young Farmers Summit and mm-hmm. have been kind of tuned into this movement as a artist and as a cultural observer and participant. Mm-hmm. What do you see emergent now? Um, and how are things changing in the new farmer scene from your perspective? Um, yeah. Things are changing in the sense that I think Wisconsin's, a, you know, well, Madison's pretty on the ball regarding, you know, where food comes from and whatnot. Um, but Madison and other more rural parts of Wisconsin, um, the buyers, like the market is, um, you know, they're still buying everything from Chile and they're buying from producers that have really big operations. But people like me aren't really interested in farming that way. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty ADD. I like to do a lot of different things. Um, I also, you know, notice the impact on my land. I've, my farm's only 14 acres. And... When I grow a lot of one thing, I lose topsoil, and I sort of also lose interest (laughs) in what it is that I'm growing. And so I think that that's kind of a big deal these days with a lot of growers. There's, like, people are really wrapping their heads around diversifying and sustainability, and um, I think that the buyers are slowly warming up to that. You know, especially in more hardcore urban areas like Milwaukee. Um, you know, last year my CSA focused on providing like much larger shares than usual, and you know, is targeting people that were interested in putting up food, so that you know they're not buying everything from California in the winter. But that was like the amount of educating I needed to do. To, to pull that off last year was almost astronomical. <laughs> but people signed up, you know, and, and they started getting it. And we had classes and workshops on on fermenting and pickling and canning and drying and all that sort of stuff. And um, so I think that the market is catching up. I think that that's... That's, you know, where it's going right now for younger farmers is that, you know, we're able to pull it off because we're able to tap into markets that are interested. Does that answer your question? I think that answered it pretty well. Okay. (laughs) Um, Going the market, you know, when you, if you kind of get into the bubble of local food, revolution, then you think, oh, it's everywhere and everyone's tuned in, but it's a good reminder that we have a lot more building of market share to do and that there's nothing like pounding the pavement and getting out there and explaining to people how what you're offering is so totally unique and desirable and building strong relationships around the 
value-based businesses that we are holding in our hands, yep. which, of course, is much harder for others to then take away from you if it's really a, a strong foundation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say that, honestly, that was one of the appeals to working with chefs because I, I pretty much spent, like, one day a week minimum um, you know, writing the newsletter with recipes and, and educating and rah rah rahing, you know, about what it was that I was trying to do and sell and promote and all that stuff. Um, and I'm pretty stoked to not have to essentially have that day off, or rather to have that day to work in the dirt now, because <laughs> I don't have to do any of that educating with the chefs. So that's kind of cool. But. You're going to put in your time, and then once you put in your time, then you can lock and load. Yep. Yep. Okay, what about, um, what about backsliding? Do you see any uh, areas for concern of things that are going in the wrong direction, either kind of culturally or economically in your part of the world? I mean, what's going on with land access in your part of the world? Yeah, yeah, it's challenging. I mean, I was looking for two years for land and for a place, and it wasn't until I was able to talk my sweet father with an amazing credit score into essentially giving me his name and his, and his credit score to buy this place. Like, it was not an option for me to buy. No one would loan to me um, because I have, like, insane student debt. And at that point, my loans had gone into default. There wasn't the income-based repayment plan in place yet. Um, and so, yeah, it was super hard. It was either live in a house with a whole bunch of goofballs, <laughs> Um, namely, like, you know, various communities around here, which mostly dudes. And, you know, I had I had three kids, and I just kind of wanted to hone in on them and growing stuff and not really, I wasn't in a place to deal with communal or collective living at that point. And um, so it, it was super, it was definitely a challenge to find a place. And, and I know so many of my friends in cities it's like their number one dream to move out into the sticks and, and do this, and they just cannot even fathom that I was able to do it, and it's just like their total fantasy, and they can't see, but they can't, you know, envision how they could actually make that happen. Um, but interestingly, you know, I go, I'm from L.A. I go back to L.A., and, you know, I see my friends living in these tiny little hovels, and they've got their, like, four-foot-by-four-foot garden raised bed, and um, you know, that's, that's their little reality. And I come back to my place and my mortgage slash rent on this place is a quarter what theirs is, you know, and I've got this beautiful, crazy hobbit house and I have 14 acres. And, um, so, you know, yeah, it seems like a difficult struggle, but at the same time, like, I pulled it off, and it's actually more realistic for me to live this lifestyle than it would be for me to live, you know, for the same amount of money in a studio apartment in the city with a window box with a lettuce plant in it and maybe a basil bush. But 
I don't know. Like the the FSA, when I first approached them about four years ago, no, actually it was six years ago, I went to them with a proposal. I really wanted to grow mushrooms, and I came up with a business plan, and I had meeting after meeting with them, and I had, you know, markets all outlined and buyers and profitability studies and this and the other. And um, after about the third or fourth meeting um, with the loan agent uh, for an FSA, like operational startup loan, uh, four meetings into it, the woman asked me if it had anything to do with marijuana. (laughs) And um, now there's like six mushroom farms out here, half of them of which were funded by FSA, and they're all, you know, manned by young foodies and whatnot. And so in that, you know, five or seven or however many years it's been, it's changed really dramatically. I mean, I still can't, like, go into my FSA office and say permaculture, but I can say silviculture, you know, and and diversity and high-value crops and all of that stuff, and they kind of get what I'm talking about. And they certainly did not even just a few years ago. Like, I'm getting grants, which I never in a million years thought I would be able to do. I'm building a high tunnel right now with an equip grant that I got, and I have all this really great fancy fencing in and all that stuff, which is like, you know, if you asked me seven years ago, do you think you'd ever be eligible? Or would you ever be considered a real-life farmer? I would have laughed. But it's happening. It's kind of cool. I think we should end right there. I, um, I'm okay. inspired to create a double-sided guidebook. On one side, DIY, finance your way to living in the sticks. On the other side, um, benevolent guide for benevolent land investors, because I want to address that also. That's a really good idea, because I feel like they're out there. You know, I had my sweet father, but, like, I'm sure if I looked, I would have been able to find someone else maybe eventually. Whether yeah, we can do it. it. <laughs> um, let's say, let's keep talking on email and on the phone. Okay. And um, I have another announcement I want to think about. If you have any announcements that you want to fully make, um, Greenhorn's world is continuing to be very busy. We just released the first six songs of our new intergalactic mixtape of Agrarian mm-hmm. Resistance. It's collaboration with the Land Workers Alliance of England, which is a Via Campesina Greenhorn kind of group of young growers. They call themselves the Land Workers, which is a really nice word. And they uh, and we are working together. The first six songs you can listen to were recorded in the Grain Talk in Essex, New York. A very cold day in the Grange. Most of our songs from the 1860s. The title track has a has a chorus that goes. Well, I I shouldn't sing on air. That's dangerous. It's about <laughs> working with your children. But I think it's appropriate for this conversation. And it of course, is. we have negotiation trainings coming up, increasing and increasing amounts of guidebooks online uh, from Greens and from Agrarian Trust. Hope that you already have been buzzed about the Agrarian Trust. Symposium, which is coming up 
and which you'll be able to listen to the podcast of and uh, participate in the wiki of um, online. Any announcements, Michaela? What's that? Do you have any announcements? Oh, I wish I did. Um, keep up the good fight. <laughs> I don't have, you know, my season's just getting started. I'm, I don't have anything big and exciting to announce yet other than keep on trucking. <laughs> All right, everyone, keep on trucking and let us know how it goes. If you have insights, uh, if you're observing trends, as the gossip sure. swirls past your ears, keep us in the loop. And um, I will. I will, and I'll let you know what uh, Thurman's up to in the future as well. Yeah, maybe He's trying to make Vernon County GMO free. So I'll let you know how that goes. Okay. Okay, everybody. Uh-huh. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>